0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy.
1: Get ready for some awesome.
0: All right, friends, it's time. Get ready
1: for some awesome. I seriously
0: was surprised by that. I do not know why. You know who it is. July wrap up, Johnny Storm doing the thing. Hello, Jonathan.
1: Hello, Luke. How are you, Ken?
0: I'm good. You're coming to us from Fayetteville, Arkansas today.
1: Yeah, Rogers, Arkansas. Sure am. Same thing, who cares. Yeah, it's not I am excited to be on a podcast oh. that has been listed in the top 10 of what was what was the most most attractive podcasters. Yeah,
0: man, that's so exciting. Yeah, it is. And honestly, I'm just humbled <laughs> by it and I'm I'm thankful for my listeners voting for me. It's just a huge so, honor and I, I I don't want to take all the credit. It's really about the listeners and,
1: it, and yeah, it's a, it's really about the listeners. It is. Does that voice sound familiar uh, of uh, the person who Brad from, from Helena, Montana? <laughs> okay. First off, you've memorized who it was that called and said this. I just
0: I, I love my listeners. I care about them. I yeah, I, I I pay attention. It did, was ju- it was just nice of him to say that about me.
1: Did it sound familiar? Like, man, I've heard that voice before, but I don't know a Brad from Helena. Like, I think like, the voice of love. Like,
0: I just sense love. And so that was a common language that I, of course, am well familiar with.
1: No, why? I, I hope that nobody else had called in that didn't get their question aired because, you know, probably people were What calling. are you trying to say, man? Um, That was a preacher friend of ours who, when we heard you are doing what? a podcast, we were like... You... How here's here's dare what I think.
0: What are I, you saying? <laughs> are you saying that I'm not the seventh most attractive podcaster out there? Um, well, you know, who's to say? Who's to say? I, How, I'm sure some Jonathan, camp- you know, Okay. How would you like it if, say, for example, something that you hold to be a great accomplishment, like that time you guys won the homeschool girls' basketball tournament where you were playing on the girls' basketball team? What if someone told you that was Ew. all a
1: sham? You're messing this story up, and first off, that will never be a sham. You, sir, cannot take that <laughs> How away How would from you me.
0: like that? How would you like that, though? It would hurt, and that's what I feel like you're doing to me right now for no reason.
1: <laughs> uh, I just hope that people didn't get their questions cut who had, like, sincere theological stuff, like, I don't understand the cross, and then you hear, like, the seventh most attractive. <laughs> like, well, we'll get to that the next... <laughs> The next mailbag.
0: There was something about, like, the problem of evil and, you know, why is cancer around and, uh, you know, explain to me Christian response. Hold on, Brad from Helena. <laughs> Montana. This guy really. Gets... <laughs> so oh, one man. of my buddies, uh, actually the guy who did the wrap-up last month uh, from uh, Australia, he texts me, and goes, your listeners are very sassy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, preacher buddy that it is, too. Oh, Shackman.
0: How <laughs> dare you try to do that to me? That's so rude. It's, it, you know, you know, it'd be like, it would be like that. T- well, honestly, it's not like it's exactly what happened. You know, I almost texted you, um, the, the backstage passes and the free tickets for Rob's thing when he was in Dallas. And yeah, I literally, excellent. when I got those, I was about to do that. And Rob had sent a message saying, just don't invite the stalker. Cause my security. <laughs> is on high alert because we're in Texas. They, the they,
1: restraining order has lifted. There's no reason. Really? Th- really? Yeah. Did he yeah. stop in
0: Abilene? No. <laughs> Did he stop in Arkansas? And that's fine No. That's why. Coincidence? I think not. Yeah. The cease no. and desist letter from... Zondervan. Zondervan is still in effect, even though he's not with Zondervan I'm anymore. I'm sure
1: they sent out dozens of those. <laughs> I'm sure you probably got a dozen of those <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm sure I just <laughs> kept kidding <getting> them. <laughs> uh, oh
0: gosh, that's too uh, bad. It is. Well mm. <clears throat> Oh Jonathan. So you're in Arkansas right now.
1: I am. Eden what, and I are go ahead. What are you doing there? Uh speaking at this um event at the Southside Church of Christ in Rogers. Um great church. they had us up. I'm doing a Jesus throws the best parties um, from from our Bringing Heaven to Earth book. How many times I, have you
0: actually preached that stuff? Jesus throws the best party because you preached that at the church
1: that I'm a part of six years ago. You're right. I forgot. So only um, <laughs> that that was only one sermon before I got to Highland. It was like a a sermon I did at the Hills, and then I, I did it for you because you know I knew. Your church really needed some reasons to look up and, you know, it's not, it's not like this guy's trying really hard. Let's, let's celebrate. Um, then, Or the like, fact,
0: the reason you do that is because you really only have three sermons you've ever preached. <laughs> one is that, the other one is like someone on a donkey and the third one <laughs> is like a Harley
1: on the stage. Like, those are your only sermons that you have. See, and this is why you should use props, because that's <laughs> the only thing you remember, is the the three props. <laughs> um, it- but no, I didn't. They asked me to come do this here, because I wanted to throw a, a big neighborhood party, like as a outreach thing for their community. And Eden and I got to go to the Razorback Field, and... um
0: that's college football for those of you who don't know. Yeah, that's now, right. Now, some people, when they think of people in Arkansas throwing a party, they're going to have some ideas that I feel like we should dispel. Because I know a lot of people are thinking, oh, an Arkansas party, which means like overalls and people, you know, um, you know sitting Go on hay on with bales. The
1: stuff. Yeah. All right. And what stuff should we dispel? <laughs> <laughs> <What's> that? <laughs> that, that sounds like a fine party to me, sir. <laughs> Okay. you ever heard of barn swinging
0: i've heard of barns and nobles
1: oh is that related uh in my dream world it would be
0: (laughs) what is a barn swinging
1: dude it's where you like swing on a rope over hay bale in in a barn (laughs) wow that's a creative name (laughs) yeah it's a descriptive name it's barn swinging and it's amazing you should not knock it until you try it, man. That's one of the more fun things. So Aiden th- and I canoed the buffalo with my best friend, Bob, and I realize I'm a stereotype your, now. <laughs> your
0: your best friend, Bob. I've always wondered why you say best friend, Bob, but then I realized in Arkansas, I'm assuming the word Bob <laughs> is not that descriptive. <laughs> There's probably a lot of people that would answer. Bob,
1: yeah, hey, yeah. Hey, hey, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Arkansas is a fine state. I don't,
0: you know, I really don't know why I never get invited to speak in Arkansas. I can't put my finger on why that hasn't happened yet. I've got,
1: I've got some ideas.
0: <laughs> okay, let's talk about uh, the podcast. We're doing the wrap-up. We've got uh, Nadia is on. We've got the conversation about the Duns. We've got some Enneagram stuff with Suzanne. Uh, we've got Richard Beck. We've got the mailbag. We've got our friend Austin Channing. Uh, so we've got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Oh man,
1: I knew this was going to come up. What? This, this is awkward. What? I've stopped listening to the podcast. What? what? Uh, yeah, um, not Why would- not all podcasts, just this one. Um, <laughs> a really great one is you made it weird. I've been listening to that lately. Um, you know,
0: you can hear you made it weird meets newsworthy of with Norse within a couple of weeks. Nuh-uh! Yeah. Are you on it? No, he's
1: going to be a mom- <laughs> just kidding. <laughs>
0: jerk that's so rude of you so rude so he's
1: coming on newsworthy with northworthy
0: yeah pete yeah. uh pete holmes he's a comedian and uh he's he's friends with rob bell uh he is going to be in dallas in a couple weeks and uh we're gonna meet up by email with him and we're gonna find a time when he's in town and we're gonna we're gonna do the thing hopefully cool, and hopefully that's really cool yeah hopefully i won't get fired after that one that one could be yeah. interesting
1: <laughs> no kidding you just put an explicit on there. Um, <laughs> Something like that. So you,
0: that hurts. You don't listen to the podcast anymore.
1: Yeah. You know, I like to listen to kind of Orthodox stuff. Ouch. Yeah. Speaking of Orthodox,
0: <laughs> Nadia was the first one. And her dad, Dick Bolts, said that he quoted your blog in a Bible class that he was teaching at the church he's a part of in Colorado.
1: Go on, that sounds orthodox.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of like this is what some people think. Let me tell you what the real truth is, though.
1: That's <laughs> I know, I, I'm the, I'm set up as the heretic, and yeah, they? yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that also sounds familiar. Weren, weren't you out out of Littleton? Uh, where yeah, a couple weeks before
0: death. Yeah, yeah.
1: Met her family, and um, I had Eden with me again there, and we had to get back to what were we getting back to? Uh, a, a barn swing,
0: probably. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to make this a rough transition to actually start talking about serious things now. Okay. When she talked about something um, that I was surprised with, how many other people resonated with it. She was talking about when you plan a church, you you know, you put on events, you put on Sunday morning service, and she said it felt like you're throwing a birthday party for yourself every week. And as I a love church well, as a church planner, I completely get that. Like, I really understand exactly what that feels like because. You know, you as a church planner, you are like throwing events, and it's easy to let your own self esteem and self worth get wrapped up in those things. But I was surprised that other people who aren't church planners resonated with that.
1: Yeah, I, um, my our mutual friend Brian Checkman, we were talking about Br- that Brad line. Brad from
0: Helena. Brad,
1: <laughs> yes. Um, that basically that there's there's a season, as the way Nadia talked about it, where I think everybody who um, goes into ministry gets called by people and um you know people tell you you're good at this you should do this and there's always a season where it feels like you're throwing a birthday party for yourself and you're waiting to see who's going who cares enough to show up and that's a really really sad season um
0: so that was because, early in your career you felt that way yeah,
1: do you still I mean, feel that way now there there are some sundays and I don't – there's not like anything um, – but no, I really haven't felt that way in, in probably a year,
0: mm-hmm.
1: maybe two. Um, but it's surprising. Her her thing about how to find out if you're in that season is by asking where your resentments are or where your satisfactions are. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really good line because um, – and then she said, if, if, you're, if you get into this for people-pleasing, which I don't know many – ministers or pastors who didn't get into it on some level for people-pleasing.
0: Hmm. Okay, you got to explain that. A lot, not many people are going to say, yeah, I got into this to please people, but what, what way do you think we all are trying to please people by becoming a preacher or a pastor?
1: Well, okay, so some people it's just actual pleasing everybody, and that's exhausting, and um, those people who hear this aren't thinking, oh, I didn't do that. They know. Uh, and I'm a, I, I have that in me as well. Um, the But the other group of people are people who are trying to please certain people. Um, there's a few people, and they're really working their butt off just to make sure that those people know, like, I'm, I'm a good worker, I'm a good minister or preacher or chaplain or whatever, and... You can't always do it. And the way Nadia said it is, I don't know if that's the call. And I think that's right. There's a season where you transition, kind of like what you and Rob and Richard talked about. That season of what got you this far won't get you no. further. No.
0: Yeah, it works really well when things are going good. And in some ways, like when they, you're the young preacher boy or young preacher girl, like everyone likes you. And then eventually, like you become an adult and people are like, oh, you know, you, you really have other things going on that maybe I don't like this this area of your ministry or this is what your opinion on. And it seems like when you finally deal with adversity and things aren't going well, that's when you really have to do the work and say, oh, wait a minute, these things that got me to this point maybe got me into ministry that got me to want to do this. That doesn't really work anymore.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there. yeah. well
0: said. Okay, so she also talked about her idea as a, a pastor is that she's not like friends with the people as much as she is not, uh, she's there to lead them and to pastor them, not to be their friend. What do you think? Did...
1: Of... Well, I was wondering, did you resonate with that?
0: Hmm. It's hard for me. Sometimes it's hard for me because I, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm, I, I don't want to elevate myself. Like her stuff about the democratization of church, I really like that. I don't want to elevate myself to be above people. And I feel like when you say, well, I'm just your pastor, I'm not your friend, you you do that and you remove yourself from that. And, and obviously one of the big you know, motivators for me is that I want to be authentic and I want to be transparent. And I think that lends itself to be more on the level playing field, more of the friend and and so I see the, the the downside is eventually you go, well, if I'm your friend, then you should show up for I'm doing this because we're friends and you owe it to me. Or we're friends, and this is what friends would do. Like if I'm doing an event and you're my friend, well, of course you show up. And I think that's where you, you come into the people-pleasing stuff. I think once you separate yourself from that, you can say, well, I'm not here to let you meet some emotional need that I have, but you can serve instead.
1: Yeah, you, you know, she actually talked about that, and I get the feeling that she's she's not – she refuses to be put up on a pedestal because she you know kept saying stuff like the democrat democratization of church and how people who are her her fans or her enemies can't she can't trust the information from them yeah. but only the people who she shares life with but the thing that she said about not getting your emotional needs met at church I think that's something a lot of young pastors struggle with because or at least I, I do because um, I think one of the reasons we get into serving a local church is because at some point in our life we experience church and then we get there we find out it's hard to be a part of one and lead one and you heard this running through the podcast with nadia you know like i'm i'm their leader you know i wear the stool which i did did not know that's what that was called (laughs) So you have a stool, but it's literally just so you can see over the. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, if we're going to go there, then let me say this. How have you never picked up on the fact until that Sunday at House of Sinners and Saints that Jarius's daughter was 12 years old and the woman with the bleeding disease had been sick for 12 years? That's like the biggest softball Mark can give you. It's like he might as well say, hey, me, I'm making a connection here. And you're sitting there in church being like, huh. oh, well, they're both. <laughs> you know, fine. Okay, I'll take that. You know, I you missed one thing. You have to open a commentary. You just well, have to read like the two back-to-back verses.
0: Speaking of not opening commentaries, I know that's your go-to thing. But um, fine. Okay, I missed something. Wow, I hope you feel better about yourself. I hope now that you feel like you're a smart person. Because I miss something, and you don't have an MDF, you know and I do. Strange.
1: <laughs> Strangely, I do feel better about myself.
0: Great, great. This... All right, we're done talking about Nadia since you're using her against me.
1: <laughs> so what are we talking about now? Let's uh, talk about uh, I,
0: the duns, yeah. So Jeff Cook, Josh Packer. Josh Packer's a sociologist who wrote the book. Jeff Cook is a friend of mine who, who's, um, who's friends with Josh, and they do church together. I, think Jeff's, or I know Jeff is the pastor of the church. And so they do a lot of stuff about the Duns. Is that something that you've encountered? Obviously, with your preaching, you probably create a lot of Duns.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is so bad.
1: Yes, hey, yes. let's
0: tune into Luke and Jonathan, make fun of each other for an hour. Oh, yeah, I'm in for that. That sounds great. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's
1: – I always have to – Go get therapy after I do one of these wrap ups with you it's actually a racket my dad and I have going you go to him for therapy after <laughs> I destroy your self esteem that totally makes sense it's um, a
0: business model
1: okay so the duns i i a lot of people came to mind when he was describing that and um, first off I thought you asked a really good question that was kind of rolling around in the back of my head when I was listening to the podcast um, the I can't remember how you said it. You used the word entitled and stuff, and you weren't being, like, super hard on, on the Duns, but, like, isn't there a sense in which, like, you got to just toughen up or, or something like that? And I do think that's a fair, a fair thing to Duns um, to say, like, look, life in community is hard, yeah. um, and life with institutions is hard. Because um, I would imagine a lot of Duns still feel like they have community, but chances are... You know, and, and this is not universally speaking, but I think a good challenge for a Dunn who is just walking away from church, but as as they said, as Packer and Cook said, um, they still very much a Christian. Um, like you know, a Donald Miller. Yeah. Um. the The challenge I have for uh, someone like that would be, okay, well, you you get your community, your church, with your friends. Make sure your friends are poor or or rich if you're poor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Make sure your friends are a different ethnic group. Yeah. you know um, because the That type of friendship like we're called to, it's not right the
0: type of uniformity that we often have with our friend group
1: and and you need the sacraments I mean you you need to take communion regularly mm-hmm. like that's the way God breathes life into you and, and into this world through you. Um, and you need to take it with those people that you don't like. And if you're doing that, then you're not really done. Do you think like the type of community
0: that we're called to isn't just with friends? Because typically, like friends are people you like, and sometimes community is people that you don't get along with. And
1: right, so we're in community right now. I mean, what you mean? and I.
0: No, but but I no, like, I like, but I like.
1: Wait a minute. <laughs> that's not that's, that's not sweet. nice at all. Have you ever read To Change the World by James Davidson Hunter? No. Okay. Yeah, it's got lots of big words. So, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, James Davidson Hunter has this has this thing where he says, you know, he tracks like the amount of uh, we we talk about changing the world more than any other generation. It's just you know get on Amazon or Google and look at how many books are written, or sermons, or podcasts, or whatever. Yeah about changing the world... Bringing and Bringing heaven to earth, yeah, that kind of stuff, got it. <laughs> that's right, this podcast is brought to you by bringing <laughs> heaven to earth. Um, and he says, basically, that the thing that's that we forget is that if you want to change the world, institutions are the fabric that society, um, that holds society together, and what's happening across the board, not just in churches, but, um, and this is in Robert Putnam's work, Bowling Alone, and his recent stuff, um... Across the board, people are walking away from institutions, and James Davidson Hunter says um, if you want to change the world, you have to change an institution because that's what changes it for generation to generation.
0: Yeah. You, you talked about this in the panel we did uh, at Pepperdine a couple months ago that you know we're talking yeah. about you know, interacting with millennials, and the thing is there is a deep distrust for institutions. Just that's the, the zeitgeist. Like People don't trust the institution of big business or politics. I mean that's just – The narrative that we are very comfortable with, but if we're going to try to change the world and this is the way to do it is that you change institutions, it seems like that's a catch-22 because the people who care for justice, the millennials, who they want to make a change. They want to make a difference. If you're saying, we'll do that through institutions, but they don't like institutions. So like how do you reframe that where
1: institutions – Well, we've got a really narrow vision of what institutions are. Like the NFL is an institution.
0: Don't you dare disrespect football. You can make fun of me, but not the religion of Texas.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, the institutions are anything that's trying to pass on a way of life from one generation to the next. And churches are an institution, um, but they're not just—and, you know, not all churches are. But, you know, meeting under a mango tree, I would imagine— parents are trying to pass something off from one generation to the next, So I, I guess all churches kind of are in that sense. Um, yeah. But, but even with your example about the NFL, I
0: mean, there is a great distrust for, you know, Robert G- or Goodell. And, yeah. and I mean, and the way they've handled a lot of the controversies and a lot of the issues, like people don't trust them.
1: The bond movies. That's
0: an institution. Okay. Now you know? you're, re- now you're reaching.
1: Okay. So, <laughs> well, I mean, like, think about it. They pass it off from one generation to the next. It, so it, are you a, trying to reframe,
0: like, okay, institutions aren't bad because you're looking at these things that we typically don't assume to be institutions and say, no, right. no
1: these aren't bad. Right. And that's uh, – I'm getting that from Playing God by Andy Crouch, the the kind of – Shocker, you read a book called Playing God.
0: <laughs> Real shock that you like that one. Okay, but let's, let's talk more about, like, how the people go- – <laughs> how people got there. Like, you have these people who are the duns, people who checked out of church – and the weird thing in the research that Packard is presenting is that these people are not people who are flakes at church. These aren't the CEOs, the Christmas Easter only. These are the people who are leaders at church yeah. who are highly involved, highly committed, and all of a sudden they're out of. Yeah. So as you're, you're hearing this uh, podcast with Packard and, and Cook talking about this, you say you see faces. Like when you think of the, the faces of people who've gone through this journey, what do you think made them get to where they are? You know,
1: and, and one of the things that, that I found I find annoying about done, I realize it's because I see the temptation in myself.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, the people who who I think get really involved, um, it's it's easy over time to lose the the reason for why we got involved in the first place, which hmm. is you know there there really is a God that. Us doing this on whatever time we get together and doing serving, it really does please Him. And I think if if um, if the show, as y'all called it, in that and that thing replaces God, then eventually there starts to get this idea that comes in people's minds. And and it, I've had it before. Like if I just write, if I spend thirty hours writing a good sermon, and and Brandon, our worship minister, spends thirty hours planning, you know, the right songs and and whatnot. And God wasn't there at all. Would anybody notice? And it's really easy to start thinking like this whole thing. You, you start taking yourself too seriously. You start thinking this whole thing's on you, and um, you you lose the very thing that called you to it in the first place, which was the mm-hmm. desire to please God and to, you know. To serve Him. Yeah. yeah. And and I think one of the things that happens is a little bit like Wizard of Oz and pulling back the curtain. Yeah. And you start thinking, Man, this, this is all there is. And if you lose that, I could see it getting, I think it disenchants the worship assembly because over you, time.
0: It, yeah, It's like... When you work at a restaurant, like not many people who work at a restaurant want to go eat at the same restaurant because you see how the food's made, and sometimes that kind
1: of grosses you out.
0: When you yeah. work at a church
1: – It's like being inoculated to the medicine. Yeah. I'm I sure see the- this a lot in, in – um, and, you know, Randy Harris, who's, I think, a uh, mentor for both of us, this is one of the reasons he keeps pushing young ministers to go deeper because – on the back end of it, if you start to think, if you if you get inoculated to the gospel, you know, like John Wesley, he converted as a pastor. Like he had a conversion experience with the Lord as a pastor. So there's hope for you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's where I had to go. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> So the, so you have to go deeper, I agree, completely agree yeah. go deeper
1: but i mean I, I thought that their you know that podcast was really interesting to me, and it helped the me to be more um, sympathetic i think to like because i've seen if i I've seen the the temptation of that mm-hmm. and um,
0: yeah, it seems like the the trajectory of like, say, uh, you know, you're starting as a zero-level commitment. You go to a 10. Like, you work your way to being further and further committed to the church. And then eventually, you say, this is too much. And then people never go from, like, a 10 back down to a 6 or a 4. It's like, you go 10, and then you go to a zero. Like, yeah. you've seen that? I've seen that, especially as a church planner, because you ask so much of people. You you burn people out if you're not. Um, yeah. Th- and, and I've done that because I haven't lived well, uh, especially early on. And you go, well, you don't want that to happen. And I think the recipe of okay, let's let's continue to push for a deep spirituality. I think that's what has to happen. And I think part of it is this whole idea, which I talk about a lot, is this second naivete. Like at the beginning right. of, of like spirituality, everything's great and it's new and it's like this brand new world, and then you get to see it more and you have some questions and it gets harder. And it's at that point you can either like give up or you have to reframe your whole worldview. And I think that's really what has to happen is that – you, you see the complexity of church and i don't know about for you i mean you've been in some great churches but i know that you know there's also been you know tough patches with church in your life uh you know for me it's like you know you start doing ministry you you go into a situation that's pretty caustic and it's it's not really healthy and then you realize okay this is what church can be and it's easy to say well i don't want to be a part of church because i've seen how bad it can be instead yeah. of saying no, there is another way of doing this, but this is just the full gamut of what church can be, and it's good and bad, and that's what it's yeah. always going to be. Yeah, it's
1: a human community. Um, it's yeah. more than that, but it, it, it's not less than it.
0: Okay, so let's do a, a brief bit discussing the awful hatred that they spewed towards the Sunday sermon in that podcast. And then <laughs> Jeff Cook posts something else on McKnight's blog this week, and he's attacking it some more. I felt like I fixed him. I felt like no. Jeff— Jeff, I thought we were friends, I thought I helped you out, and I see the blog, and I'm like, no, he's
1: not listening. Uh, that's the problem with with people not listening to our sermons.
0: I know, that's what happens, and then you start posting terrible things. The point is, he's wrong. Sermons are the most important thing, right? <laughs> Can we just agree on that?
1: <laughs> if so. But, yeah, oh yeah, done. I uh, definitely do. Uh, I'm a done with that idea. Um, <laughs> so... I think sermons are, are sacramental maybe more than, more than they do. Like that, you know, it's not the, I don't think it's more important than other things. Um, the, but I, I want to work really hard on that. And, and you know, when you get like a word from the Lord, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I can say that because you have Jonathan Martin and Brian's on and stuff on here. So
0: well, this isn't but, a Pentecostal month, but let's pretend like it is. Okay. You can say that.
1: Yeah, you know, like when you get a word from the Lord, there's a sense in which that came from somewhere outside yeah. of you, and I mean, I think sacrament is God breathing a holiness and sacredness into the world, and that that is one of my great joys in life is to. Do something and and i don 't think it 's just something that you say because you 've had those experiences where somebody comes up to you and says, When you say this it was and you didn 't say that yeah and so every every week I pray before, bless the gap between what I say and what people hear, God, fill that with your spirit because yeah. but again you know i don't i don 't think it 's more important than the table or our singing and worship
0: um, community yeah and I, I think honestly that's what you know. Jeff is pushing toward. Let's not make it more than it has to be. And I think there can be churches where it's not the typical, you know, thirty minutes of everyone sitting down and listening. It doesn't have to be that for all church. And I'm 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 obviously kidding, but I do think there's a place for it. And I think, yeah, I, I think he would say the same thing too. If not, he yeah.
1: should. He sh- he definitely should. Okay, Keep let's on him. let's
0: talk about the enneagram. Susan let's do that.
1: You don't like pain.
0: Discuss. Well. I feel like that's what uh, our friendship is. It's like a spiritual discipline for me to do with a constant pain in my side. Okay, first. I feel the same way. Okay, uh, let's talk let's, about this. I'm a seven, which I've already explained that to people. Uh, if you to always
1: explain it like this. M.T. Wright and Rob Bell are also a sevens.
0: think Point of they, reference. That's all I was giving. Point of <laughs> reference. You're a three. Don Draper's a three. Um, <laughs> the people who run Enron were threes. Um Robert Durst is a three, so those yeah are,
1: no, all points of reference. yeah, all just just the totally <laughs> unbiased points of references
0: exactly i those are just the first things that came to mind when I thought
1: about you and you 're
0: <laughs> no no, okay, as a three, if someone said jonathan you 're three, what does it mean for you
1: um well, first off, thank you, Auschwitz, for just reducing me to a number you 're a three wow the the thing the thing <laughs> <laughs> Thank you,
0: Huckabee. I guess that's a thing in, in Arkansas you like to use Holocaust metaphors. Okay.
1: Huckabee. <laughs> um for, for a three, good good Arkansas governor reference. Thank you. For a three, the thing that the Enneagram did for what was the question? <laughs> you threw me off with the Okay. As a seven, the,
0: the sin is like you avoid pain. It's the Peter Pan syndrome. A three, yeah. you're the actor. Your sin is lying,
1: right? Yeah, that's right. Um, the So there's a gap between who I am and who I want people to think I am. And the call for a three is to close that gap. And um, Ian Morgan Crone was at Highland – Cron was at Highland – Uh, last year, and that's the first time I heard about the Enneagram, and he just told me, you're a three. Um, I think you're a three. So I got Richard Rohr's book, and I read it, and I was like, man, being a three is awful.
0: I know, yeah. I thought I was a three at first. If you remember my conversation with Rohr, I I said I thought I was a three. He's like, no, you're a seven. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. But and so part okay so if people don't know like you know the enneagram it like it basically is built around the seven deadly sins and they added two on because you know they went for two after they scored. And so they've got but everyone has a sin and like a motivation that is behind what you're doing. And so it's like a great instrument to help you understand who you are. And so as you're understanding your threeness Has there been any way that you said, oh, this helps me process something? Or as you're going through an experience, you go, well, this is the three thing to do here. And I want to be a redeemed three instead of maybe where you're starting out of your false self.
1: Yes. So because of this, I actually – I read this book, Glittering Vices by Rebecca Young, who you should have on your podcast. And she talks about the seven deadly sins, and the one for – the one for – threes is vainglory and vainglory is like, it sounds really quaint, but it's everywhere. Um, You know, Roar says in the Enneagram that three is America. Basically that's, we just care so much about how we're about image. And um, so I read through that and started working on some stuff to actually close the gap between who I was and who, I wanted people to think I was, and you know, like I only get on Facebook on Wednesdays now. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like because vainglory, it being perceived a a certain way, and it's real easy to escape into an image and, and lose any kind of substance or hmm, yeah, you know what I mean. Um, and that's that's the enneagram that was. It was helpful for me in the way that. Um, it made me become more self-aware um, about, about who you are. Yeah.
0: Has Leslie, your wife, has she done any work in the Enneagram to work on, see what number she would be?
1: Man, I got, I, you, you, when you were talking with, um, I'm sorry. Suzanne? Her, yeah, Suzanne. Her... Uh, You said don't do that test. When I first did the Enneagram, I got everybody, my parents, my (laughs) brother, my everybody that I know, all my good friends, to do the Enneagram. And um, it was great. So I I had Leslie do that then. and uh, She's a two. Okay, Uh, yeah,
0: I can see that for sure.
1: The need to serve or the need to be needed. And um, that was...
0: The helper. I I see her as a helper, not as a needed... Let me clarify what that – my statement was.
1: Um, my brother is an eight, which is the one that Suzanne said is. And he, she's so right because when he found out he was an eight, he loved it. <laughs> I mean he was telling everybody – because Martin Luther King Jr. was an eight too. He just telling everybody, I have a dream. <laughs> <laughs> just... So bad. So Lindsay, Lindsay's a one. Yeah. And
0: I find her at night. She'll be – like last night she was just cleaning – like a closet upstairs and she was going, I'm just perfecting something. And I used to said that. Yeah. I'm just perfecting. I'm just perfecting. It's because of obviously Suzanne's language and she's, she's taking that on as her own. But I used to think, Lindsay, just calm down, just relax, just do something. And now I realize, like, that's just how she does relax. Yeah. That is her thing. And I'm not like that at all. And so I'm learning to see who she is. That's different for me and how we process things. And I found that to be really helpful instead of trying to fight against it. It's like, it's like when you're at the ocean, you get a riptide. Like you can try to fight against it, but you're going to lose every time. Okay, so, Rob
1: Bell. Speaking of cease and desist orders, that's let him have that metaphor. You live in Denton. I lived <laughs> on the beach for two years. Yeah.
0: Okay. For I'm, two years. I'm not the one who's posting topless pictures on Facebook like you are this week.
1: <laughs> I'm not posting those. We went to the beach like a month ago, and mm. my sister-in-law is posting them on Wednesdays. And secondly, you lived on the beach? Was, was it, this like the homeless season <laughs> in your life? <laughs> I was close, actually. It's too,
0: too funny to joke. That's not... Uh, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> too soon. Okay, one of the things that she said on the podcast, Suzanne, who you should know her name since you've invited her to come to your church in a few months. Yeah. Uh, so write her name down. I'll help you when she gets there. Um, she said that the flaw of the golden rule, or maybe she was quoting someone else, but the golden right. rule is like do unto others as so you have them doing unto you, which like the principle is completely right. But we all want people to treat us differently. And when you realize that people are all different, you can really embody the heart of the golden rule.
1: That's right. Yeah. I, I remember her saying that it was about her daughter mm-hmm. and about my brother's personality. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's a great instrument and I know Suzanne's going out to, um, She's going out to see Sarah Barton in uh, at Pepperdine a couple months, too. Cool. Working with her cool. stuff. So uh, big, friend of Suzanne, big fan of Suzanne's work. And, um, yeah. All right, uh, next one. Richard Beck talked about his trip over to the U.K.
1: Yes. We missed him at Highland when he was gone. Did you really?
0: That's yeah. sad. He was gone for uh,
1: a month. Like a month. Yeah. And then he went to, to Pennsylvania for his Maybe. July thing he does every year.
0: Yeah, yeah. He was up in the old uh, Pittsburgh area. So we talked about uh, the decline of church and kind of using the U.K. as a, like a, as a rule, ruler of kind of where we're going to measure up to in a few years probably. In a few years? I don't know. I feel like that's where we're going, don't you think? Um, you think we're already there?
1: I don't know. It depends on how, how we handle immigration, honestly. What? Think, what do you mean by that? Well, I think um, Europe – European kind of people of European descent um, you know I, I do think that we Americans have a lot in common with brothers and sisters from from Europe across the pond um, but you know there's a there's a vibrancy of in you know like Latin America and um, in Mexico of of religious life and church life and the, you know, so I don't think you can just say Europe is, is like America and, and well, I'm sorry I said it. No, I mean, but there is some parallels there, obviously some parallels. Yeah. Um, but I do think that that's one, one thing that's different is we have a, a a huge population to our South that does not see the world the same way.
0: Yeah. Wow. So first you sound like Mike Huckabee, and now you're starting to sound like Donald Trump.
1: Um, (laughs) Oh, gosh. I'm I'm, I'm saying that we can learn a lot from our brothers. Okay, I didn't didn't understand exactly what you're going with that. All right, so the— Really, did you think I was— I was just saying like— um, the kind of secular, disenchanted worldview of Europe yeah, 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 that's fair. is not shared in, in, with you know... That's a good like,
0: point. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you're... I mean, there's, there's something to be said about that. And I think you said it. You know, I'm okay. good with that. <laughs> okay, so I think... And you and I discussed this off mic, but I think in the future you're going to find there's going to be... The mega church. I think, is still going to be prevalent in the future. And I think, like, the mini-church, like the the community, the the small you know, accountable group that knows each other, lives in like a deep, rich community. Both of those options, I think, are going to be viable in the future. I think like the middle, like the middle class in terms of churches, I think that's going to be weaned out. But I think you're going to have the the mega church and the mini church. And you made an argument that it's not going to be mega versus mini, it's going to be healthy versus dead.
1: Right. I mean, I do think there, you remember Spufford's book, Unapologetic? Oh, I've
0: read a book called, uh, Unapologetic by a guy named Spuford.
1: Uh, okay, Spooford. Spufford. Yeah. Um. He, he opens up by saying that about how, um, in in America, twenty six percent of the people go to church, but a, a further sixteen percent say they go to church when they don't. And he said in Britain, the the that's the number that would surprise most people that some people lie about going to church. Because it's seen as you know being like a good yeah. thing for society, and and that, I mean, I I think you lie that for
0: it in America, and you lie that you and you are embarrassed of it in Europe.
1: You're more likely to say you didn't go to church, even if you actually it, did. Yeah, um, and so I do think that, that um, I think I I could see that creeping in that part of it. But as far as like whether people go to church, it, I think it depends on whether the church is being a church. You know, if it's sharing life together, if it's it's serving people inside the community and then outside the community, um, that if if they have a reason for existing beyond if you know our mission is to keep the Jones family happy, I think that church dies. Mm -hmm. I do think um, you know, and I don't I don't see that as a bad thing. so i i don't know if you can divide it up into different size churches cuz you know we've we've gone up and around and and preached at different churches and there are churches that you can tell like um, are are hurting mm-hmm. and the the staff isn't happy the the people don't feel like they're you know engaged and, and then there's churches of several different sizes that I've seen that that are doing great stuff. Yeah. You know, I think of Christ Fellowship in Fort Worth with Jamie Miller who he intentionally caps it at 200 people. And they've planted like 20 different churches and they keep it at 200 people. Oh. They have a mission larger than themselves. They're I mean, just a great church. And
0: and that's what uh Peterson Eugene Peterson did too. Wasn't it? Oh, is it? I think he yeah. said. I think that's right. Where he said, you know, you can only pastor so many people, and and this is the amount of people I can pastor. So this is how as big as our church can get. And I think that's great. I think, but I think in the future, I'm I'm talking fifty fifty hundred years from now, uh, maybe not hundred. Let's get fifty years from now. I think you're going to find th- that is a type of like, but that's a small church in Texas. You know, two hundred members, and y- you're going to find people can go to 200-member churches, and they can get one experience. You can go to the like the mega church, and you have to work to get the kind of community experience that you get at a 100- or 200-member church. Yeah. And, and it can happen. I'm not saying you can't do that. But I'm saying the, the big church, they offer different things. And I think oh, both, yeah. both of those are going to be viable. I think obviously right now there are churches of all sizes that are great. I'm not saying yeah, right. you know, there's something wrong with being a 400-member member or 200-member or 1,200-member church. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying... As you, I, I'm using Europe as a ruler and saying this is what I think our future can measure up to. And if we're not prepared for it, I think we're going to be uh, unhappily surprised by what happens. Yeah, that's all I'm saying.
1: No, yeah, I, I get that. The, there's a if you're a pastor and you're listening to this, there's a great um, article by Tim Keller called "Church Leadership and Size Dynamics" that kind of lays out this, but the different the strengths and weaknesses and challenges that each size church faces, I um, think would be helpful. You should Google that. It's free.
0: Google that. Google it. That's what Jonathan says. He also says that if people don't know him. He said, Google me, buddy. If you don't know me, <laughs> Google me. Three. Look That's at me on glory. Look at me on Facebook on Wednesdays. Google that. <laughs> okay, let's talk, uh, talk about the mailbag, which you obviously soiled. Hold on,
1: hold on. I want to ask about the um, stuff y'all talked about on moral progress, and I have a question for you. Okay. Um, I I appreciated you and Richard. I appreciate it too. <laughs> let me let me finish. Oh. Um, the the moral progress stuff about how uh, the world is um, getting better and how y'all kind of nuance that, or but y'all talked about the omega point mm-hmm. and you know this idea that uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s the arc of the more of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Just, yeah. Um which is, I I think, a really great quote that he lived out, but we forget that one part. It's long.
0: It's very long, yeah.
1: So here's my question for you. Okay. Progress is, this is perhaps the one age in human history that has the least right to call progress because we can't agree on the direction, right? Okay. Like, um, whether we should have you know more rules or less rules or, or um, hmm. you know so I mean here's just a, a way to put it has science created more medicine or missiles?
0: I I honestly have not counted. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Uh, okay, so does that make sense? So have we <clears throat> have we progressed because now we can treat some forms of cancer and we can get rid of a lot of diseases which. Uh, You know, would have killed many people in the advanced world as we see, unfortunately, in a third world country and people are dying of diseases that we can prevent. Okay, that's true. But you also have um, atomic bombs that have been dropped and you have the threat of nuclear war. And we are like the only species that realistically can kill itself. And it's not like
1: beyond lots of other species with us. Yeah. I
0: mean, do you have plenty of like HBO is a new a new show like the whole joke is we're on the brink of destroying the world like the 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 title i think is brink or on the brink or something and the joke is yes we can very easily do that so are we better or worse and this is my take i don't know i don't know if the even the category of better is the right language i feel like it's just different Mm -hmm. and like there's like the conservative take of oh you know our country's going to hell in a handbasket and we're getting worse and worse i'm like Okay, but have you forgot like yeah. there were separate water fountains for black people like yeah. decades ago. We're better in that area. We're yeah. worse in some areas. <clears throat> but I, I just think we're reinventing the same problem because I think our humanity has always been broken, and we just have more technology and different technology that surfaces it in different areas.
1: Yeah, and you're right. Humanity has always been both broken and has the image of God in it. There's a book. By G.K. Chesterton called "Everlasting Man" that changed my life two years ago because um, he writes it in early 1900, and this is a Catholic guy who accepts evolution like no problem with evolution. Back when it was pretty fresh, he had a, he had no problem with what evolution said about the past. He had a huge problem with what we were trying to make it say about the future. Hmm. What was he saying? Well, like, that base, yeah, the Uberman. You know, um, yeah. the the flip side of Nietzsche, the the more polite way of talking about it is that we're slowly evolving, you know, so we look back on every age before us and we just write them off because they believed in dragons and the everlasting man, he says, no, 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 no. They didn't believe in dragons. Um, that, that basically it's chronological snobbery. And I think Chesterton and people like that would look at us and they would say, Oh yeah, you, you guys got rid of the colored water fountains. That's a great thing. Tell me about your nursing homes. No. Tell me about how lonely you are or about abortion that's just common. So It's so ubiquitous that we um, – t- tell me about your, your progress in women's equality and how they're still not paid equally and how they're expected to look like a broomstick on a diet. Tell me about the models that are progressively getting skinnier, 19% skinnier constantly than the average woman in our population. And that's progress, because they're progressively getting skinnier. And that's what I mean when I say no age has had the right to define, to call itself progressive less. No. Because we don't... Basically, Chesterton says progress has become um, patricide. We just killed the generation before us. Hmm. And without any regard for the direction that we're headed.
0: Yeah.
1: And the... The thing that I would, I mean, I honestly would think, because I, I consider myself progressive in the sense of I want to be able to ask those questions. I want to care a lot about social justice. I think the gospel does. I don't think that's a new idea, and I think the trajectory has been set. Like the best tomorrow, we find the vision for it from yesterday. That's what Dr. King did. Mm-hmm. That's You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. The, yeah, yeah. So that that's kind of the... Tension I'm living in right now.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. Uh, well, that's good. Let's transition into uh, the talk with Austin Channing. Speaking of you know racial justice or reconciliation. So first of all, as we're thinking about we, t- you know, we talked about this podcast beforehand, and we're thinking about uh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about this last one. And you go, well, it's kind of awkward to have you know two white guys talk about racial justice. Yeah, the whole conversation is set up in a way that you go. We're not experts on this. We shouldn't really talk about it because of our position in life as you know, two privileged white guys. And how do, how do you wrestle with that? Because as a pastor, as someone who um, you know, has a voice, you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to say something about it, yeah. even if we feel like in some ways we don't feel like we're equipped or qualified to.
1: Yeah, man, I, I get help. And you know you do too you you center other people's voices and perspectives and stuff the that's what I try to do. I have a good friend uh Jerry Taylor, who's an african American preacher and i I get a lot of help from him and sometimes those those are hard conversations, and he tells me hard things mm-hmm. about like this is this is what the African American experience is like at Highland. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I but the goal is to be able to be reconciled, to be able to come together and and see the yeah. Image of God and each other.
0: Yeah, that's good. I, I think it's a great idea to obviously for us to bring different voices in, especially in areas that we are not equipped to do. And obviously, I think that's what I try to do in the podcast with yeah. a plethora of issues where I, I don't feel like I'm scared. Yeah, you should write novels. You know, I actually did once. It didn't turn out well, though. Um, but you, okay, so you bring Jerry Taylor, and I think you've told me before that he's talked to you about um, how it's not helpful. Um, for us to create and perpetuate white guilt, which was right. an, an interesting idea, which maybe you could tell, speaking to that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, white guilt is not productive, is one of the things he would say. And the, because you're going to be white. Yeah. You just don't have to be bad at it. <laughs> you know? That's great. Th- yeah. And and the the thing that, you know there there is such a thing as white privilege, and there 's lots of doors that are open that were open for me, even though i didn 't grow up in privilege like with um, wealth, we grew up poor um, I, I never turned on the TV and didn 't see somebody that represented my yeah. kind of ethnicity you know the
0: the opportunities the, were in front of you that even if you yeah. weren 't rich uh, and the same, i wasn 't rich, but I had opportunities in front of me that n- never did I think. I can't get there because of something. Like I never felt like I was the outsider.
1: I th- I think the one of the one of the challenges is going to be to not dismiss the way God made you, wh- whoever you are, wherever you are. Um and then to not dismiss the privilege that you have in the position that you're in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, cuz if if you dismiss the way God made you, there's some reaction there if you if you bottle that down I mean I had I had a friend in California who um, white guy really great heart worked in a, um, a a very diverse community and he had to do some reparative therapy after like five years of, of working in a community that was different than him because he just felt really guilty for being white and I, I know this is this is not a it's not easy to feel sympathy for for that. Yeah. Like Sarah McLaughlin playing over, you know, a bunch of white I
0: will
1: <laughs> Yeah yes. Yeah. But but there is like a you know, I think a resurgence of of KKK and Confederate flags and stuff like that um is a really bad way of trying to say, you know. you, Trying to say that. Like God made white people and we're white but we just we don't need to be bad at being white and so we need to
0: if you just tuned in right now jonathan just made a positive about the kkk all right uh, oh, no, no. <laughs> the good thing about what the kkk is doing no the impulse is <laughs> Gosh. no but there i wonder though if there are some people who have this sense of guilt white guilt and instead of dealing with it they try to go the opposite direction and said, so, you know, I feel guilty because I, you know, lucked out. And, you know, some people are born with 10 talents and some are born with one talent. And that's just how the world works and it's not fair and it's not right. And instead of saying, yeah, this isn't right, and instead of asking the good question, which is, what do I do with the 10 talents now that I have them? They go, no, 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 everyone has the same amount of talents. Or, yeah. no, 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 I don't have more than you. And you start going the opposite direction instead of dealing with it.
1: Right. And, and I, think, I think that… Um and honestly, it's this one's not even talents. This is just my my great great granddad did some horrible things and accumulated some stuff that got passed on from yep. you know. So
0: that's true.
1: The and the, and there is there's all that stuff about well do you do reparations the um and and I I don't know I mean I, I honestly don't know I know um I know the the thing that I'm trying to lean into right now is confess like the, so I wrote a blog earlier this month called I am a racist and I don't want to be. And just the way that, you know, I, I, I have these biases and I don't want to have them. And I think church should be the one place where we're able to say that stuff because it's not safe. It doesn't feel safe right now to publicly talk about, um, or confess race, and and when you feel shame, you just you bury it, mm-hmm. and you try not to um, discuss it, and that's not productive, and that's what Jerry Taylor's getting out with, with white guilt, like maybe maybe a better way to say it is white shame.
0: Hmm, yeah, but there has to be an understanding of of white, I don't know, complicity or white, you know, wrongdoing, yeah, right. and, and like you're pointing white to religions. that, like it was, you know, your grandparents, grandparents, grandparents who you know, did did some terrible things, which give you a foot up and okay, let's, let's deal with what that is, and other people a foot down. Yeah, exactly. And so you've got to deal with that. And instead of burying it, let's talk about white privilege. Let's talk what's out there. And I think, I think part of what Austin, I think was pushing for is when she was encouraging churches to, to let people mourn and to name things is even if you don't know how to fix it, let's name it. Let's not act like Mm -hmm. it's not there. And let's put it on the table and say, this is something
1: that we need to be aware of. Yeah, I thought that was helpful um because honestly like so much of this is just a tinderbox. You know, I we have we have police officers in our in our church who are doing really good work and they're you know they've got some shame going on right now because of just the national conversation um uh, that it's It's hard to to talk about. I like the way Larry James said it on your podcast last year. He said, You know police officers are my heroes um i I think they need better training, but they're my heroes the I, I I like that I think that that's a good way of talking about it.
0: I had a law enforcement friend who listened to that and said i you know I love exactly what he's saying, and he's a police officer who's been doing this for years, and that's what he's trying to do and mm-hmm. um the thing that stinks about that for someone like that guy, who's a law enforcement officer who's trying to do the right thing is the same thing that you and I experience when you say, yeah, I'm a pastor on an airplane. Cause most of the time people go, Oh, you're one of those people because mm-hmm. they've seen so many stories of people in our profession that have done it wrong. Our profession is supposed to be helping people in the same way law enforcement is supposed to be helping people, but there's some who do it wrong. And it screws it up for everyone.
1: One of the, one of the stories about this that I keep coming back to is, uh, Fred, this lawyer named Fred, who um, decades ago got an award from the NAACP. He was a white lawyer, got an award from the NAACP because of his tireless work in um, working for racial equality and justice. Mm -hmm. Um, The guy's name is actually Fred Phelps, who went on to start the Westboro Baptist Church, the God hates fags, God hates everybody that's not a part of the Westboro Baptist Church, basically. Um, and I keep that idea, that story in the back of my mind for these conversations about um, pursuing justice disconnected from the question where am I complicit in this, where do I need grace in my own life um, leads to a really ugly conversation and really ugly people. And I think the – so, you know, people who aren't Christians, I think, you know, pursue pursue justice all, all you want. But in the words of Paul, who was the guy on reconciliation, Christ's love compels us. It's, it's not this, you know, abstract idea of justice, although we believe in justice. Um, it, it is Christ's love compels us. And so – I, I think that's a different starting point for conversations like this, and it's also one I think churches can and should have these conversations. I think we should do what Austin was saying, um, because Christ's love compels us, not because we want to be seen as cool, not because it's the national talking point right now, um, and, and not because we have this a- abstract idea of like justice or fairness, but because this is who God is. No. This is Jesus was, and Christ compels us.
0: That's good. I think that's a good uh, good note to end on. It's a good final word. So, uh, thanks for your time. We've got to get out of here. Uh, You're welcome. August, <laughs> August guests. Uh, I've got a conversation recorded last week with Brad Jersak I think that's how you say his name. Uh, good one. I'll post that one next Monday. Then we've got uh, we've got uh, the Brantleys. Looks like they're coming on the old podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I so I got a copy of their book a, f- a few weeks ago and I was looking at it and it has like, you know, Franklin Graham and Max Cato. And then it's like they have some really, really good actually I have it right here next to me. They have some really good people who gave, you know, great blurbs about the book and it's just so good. And then it like it gets at the very let me read some of these. Actually, it's where's the blurbs? They were somewhere right in here. There's a lot of really nice ones, and then it's like they just ran out of steam. Like you know how you do that sometimes. Like you just go in so good and then you get to the very end and it's like uh, Rabbi Zacharias, people, Randy Harris, and at the very bottom, it's Jonathan Stormont. Yes. How did
1: you end up writing a blurb for this book? Man, I don't know. One of these things is not like the other.
0: Graham, Lucado, Stormont. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and so we've got, I think I'm going to get them scheduled. I'm working with their publicist on the exact date, but that's probably going to happen. And
1: then, like I said, we've got... So hold on. The Today Show. How dare Fox you? Fox News. Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Newsworthy. Good luck with that, publicist. <laughs> maybe hurtful you'll hurtful. get the same. Maybe you'll get the same break that I did.
0: <laughs> no, they said Tuesday, and I said I'm kind of busy, so give me a different day. That's what I, that's the publicist <laughs> conversation, which means eventually I'm just going to move around my Tuesday schedule. So leave me alone, Jonathan. <laughs> Pete Holmes, we're going to have him. Uh, looks like the week after that. So we should have some good ones in August. So look cool, forward to that. Doing good work. You are. You've got a good attitude. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Johnny. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.